0: We have a great God, amen? All the time. And all the time? God is great, yeah. Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to do something a little bit different today. Um, we're going to go into Colossians. I'm going to just kind of go over a few things. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to take you back to a few few messages that we've done in the past and uh, some of the things that we believe and how we understand uh, what this portion of Scripture is teaching us, especially the part that I'm pulling out. And uh, if you have a pencil or a pen, or if you don't, you know, grab one and uh, take some notes. I'm going to be putting up a lot of verses up on the uh, on the screen, and hopefully that uh, you guys can keep up. And we have a, we have just so much to to cover in just a short amount of time. What I'm going to try to give you today is probably what it would take a, a semester, three months of seminary training and teaching. However, it's really not that complicated. You know, if you see the Bible verses and you see what how it teaches it, and yet it has such a uh, it has such a um, profound effect on Christendom in the church, on how some people view salvation, how people see what uh, what God has done and how He is able to work in individual sinners just like me and you and and how God brings us to himself and so uh, But before we do that, I do want to do a little recap on last uh, couple of weeks. Because we have been going through the book of Colossians, remember uh, Paul is talking to a group of people that believe in Gnosticism or this mystical training or teaching that the the smarter, the more wisdom you get, the closer you get to God. Uh, This Gnostic belief was basically saying that the body doesn't matter, so you can do whatever you want with it, eat it. Uh, I mean, not eat it, but eat eat it and do as much as you want, eat, drink, and be merry, and have all the fun that you want, because it doesn't matter, it's going to be wasted away anyways, and uh, and uh, all that matters is what you your spirit has acquired throughout the years, and the more that you acquire, the more that you know, the closer that you get to God. Now, the the problem with that was, number one, first of all, that uh, Jesus was matter, he was a human being, and so for these Gnostics, they didn't believe that Jesus was actually a human being, and we know that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God, and he's also man all at the same time. I know it's one of those uh, paradoxes, the parent paradoxes that we can't understand, but He is God and He is man, fully God, fully man. And these these, uh, paradoxes are parent paradoxes. They seem to to fly into each other sometimes, but that's what the Bible teaches. And they also believe because it's your spiritual matter that matters, then uh, in your thinking, your thought process, well then people would get elevated in their thinking process and they had this a divine connection between the creator or the, the spiritual being that they would be able to connect with. And if you didn't have it, well, they would look down on you and say, well, you poor thing, you know, you you have to have this. And this was all going in through the church. The church was being infiltrated by these th- this type of thinking. And remember, also, it was being infiltrated by the Jewish thought. The Jewish tradition was that you had to keep all the Sabbaths, you had to keep all the festivals, you had to keep all the ceremonies, specifically circumcision. You had to keep all these different rules and regulations. But Paul uh, was dealing with with. And this church, these three churches that were in the area, these three churches were churches that weren't Jewish people. As a matter of fact, we talked about this last week. That Paul and the apostles came down with just four requirements. This is all you have to do. You don't have to keep all those other things. And one of them, as we talked about last week, was sexual immorality. And so when we get to uh, Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is saying, okay, so verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, if you're saved, and, and he's not asking, are you, if... In other words, this is another way of saying, since you have been raised with Christ, or because you have been raised with Christ, or you are raised with Christ, then he says, uh, he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. And then Paul gives us his laundry list of sins that represent not all the sins, but represent uh, just the, the part of what the people I believe were going through, because he's addressing this to the people in Colossians, uh, in Coloss. He's he's uh, addressing this to the people in uh, the, the other two cities as well. And he says to them, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God's wrath is coming upon those who practice these things. But since you he says, are a Christian, since you uh, have been raised with Christ, since you have died to your old self, then you need to rise and walk with Christ in the new self. Uh, And in verse seven, in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put on or put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And that's where we stopped at last week. And so in in verse 10 goes on and he says this, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all and in all. What Paul is saying here is: there's no slave, there's no free, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's nothing that uh, you know you can claim to be or want to be. You're not poor, you're not rich, you're not black, you're not white. Everybody is one. You're not uh, barbarian. Barbarian is just another word for anything that wasn't Jewish. Barbarians were people; they called them barbarians because of the way they spoke: bar bar bar. bar. They, said, they can't even understand what they're saying: bar bar bar. That's just basically an onomatopoeia where you know when you say swoosh. And it's, it, it actually spells out the word. That's what they were doing with barbarians. Their language is all messed up. And Scythians, Scythians were really terrible. I mean, they were so bad. They were the worst of the bunch of all people that were coming to Christ. These people used to kill their, their prey, their people, the people that they, their enemies, and they would decapitate them, cut their skulls in half, and use the skulls as bowls to drink from. These guys would take the toupees or actually they were the first people that would scalp their, um, their 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 enemies and they would use the scalps as napkins. These guys were the worst of the bunch. They were vile. They were wicked. They, they, they didn't wash hands, of course, before they ate anything of that nature. And Paul says they're even included. So don't worry about what everybody else is saying. Everyone is included in the, in, in the, in the church, in the family of God. Now, let me let me just say something here, you know, which is a little side note. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you came from, what background you came from. It doesn't matter what what you've done in life. I've talked to so many people that say, you know, it's too far. I'm too far gone. I've not I'm not able to even get close to what you're asking me to do. This is well, I'm not asking you to do anything because it's already been done on the cross. Right. Mijo? He says, yeah, <laughs> preach it, pastor. It's not a matter of what you do. It's a matter of what's already been done. And Paul is saying this, look, Jesus Christ died on this cross. He took your sin and now you are liberated. You have become a new person. And because you proclaim to be and you say you are and you're walking as, then put take off the old and put on the new. And and we're going to touch more on that next week because here's what I really want, wanted to focus on. Verse 12. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so Paul gives us another list. Okay, this is the old. These are the things that you used to do. Some of you barbarians, Scathians, some of you Gentiles, some even some of you Jews. You know, you were just the worst of the bunch. You take that off. You don't handle that stuff anymore. And this, this taking off and putting on was a reflection of the clothes that you take off once you go to work. And, and you take those off and you put some new clothes on. And the picture of baptism back then, they always threw away the clothes that you got baptized in. And they they threw them symbolically, throwing away the old self, and they always put on a new set of clothes. And signifying and symbolizing that we're th- they were new believers. See, baptism is a very important picture and very much needed in the life of a believer to follow the commandments of God. Jesus Christ said, go and make disciples, baptize them, baptize them. A disciple is a learner, a disciple is a, is a, a student, a disciple is a believer. A disciple is synonymous with the Christian. So with the moment you become a Christian, a believer, a disi- you're a disciple, a learner. You start learning. You want to learn because you want to grow. We'll talk about that next week. You want to grow. You want to develop. And what Paul is saying here is that you put that old stuff away and you bring on the new stuff. Jesus said, make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them. I get a lot of people tell me, says you know, Pastor, I just don't quite understand it all yet. I'm going to wait until I know what I'm doing as far as baptism is concerned. I want to be able to, you know, figure it all out. Beloved, you're never going to figure it out if you don't even do it. Because you're not going to learn anything because the first commandment Jesus Christ gave you is to get baptized. You do it in faith. And then you can learn. Then teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And so that's the great commission of the church. The great commission of the church is to make disciples, baptize them, and then teach them. And uh, and so as we go in life, we are going. Go, Jesus says, go and make disciples. Not just, you know, like get out of here and go, but as you are going, as you are walking. Paul uses that terminology a lot. As you walk, as you go. But see, there's something that... We can almost just overlook and everything else just will come together very good. But but I really need to focus on this part. I was just really impressed. And again, you know, just wanting to make sure that we understood this part. And and as as we go through this part, I I just want you to see this in, in verse 12. Once again, put on then as God's chosen ones. Who are God's chosen ones? Who are they? How do you become a chosen one? We've seen movies of the chosen one. Or we've seen and we've heard of people called the chosen ones. My mom had a very uh, affectionate, uh, att- attraction and attention, I should say, to me because I was the oldest one. And, and my brothers, all six of them, all five of them, I mean, because there were six of us, they all said that I was the chosen one. Uh, every time that, uh, you know, mom would be making chicken mole, they would walk in and say, Oh, Sal must be coming over today. The chosen one is coming. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was her favorite, you know. Yeah, I was, but don't tell anybody else. Uh, and we we tend to, you know, look at you know as as a favorite or the one that is selected above all else. And but see, when we talk about God's chosen people, you have to understand that this is who you are in Christ. Because if you don't get this part, then nothing else makes sense. Then you're going to flounder around thinking, "Well, I always mess up, and I always do this, and you know, all everything happens to me." Why does all, why do all these bad things always happen to me? This never works out. It's kind of the terminology of people that have this defeated attitude. I mean, it always happens this way. I never get to go. I, you know, you never always, you know, are, are words of people that have no clue, have no purpose, have no design, have no purpose in life. And Paul says, you're, you're part of his chosen one. And he he just overlooks this because he's already taught them this. As God's chosen ones. I'd like for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. If you go back a few <clears throat> few books, you'll find Ephesians right before Philippians. And Ephesians chapter 1. We went over this here a few months ago. Uh, almost a couple of years now. The last time we were back in 2021, I believe, is when we started this. And we went through this point right here our position in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 and on it says here blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Father in heaven, I pray that you take these words of yours, Lord, and and you, you imprint them upon our hearts and help us to remember and to see that those that are called according to your purpose are yours. You chose us. You predestined us. You adopted us. You called us. And you also glorified us. Help us to see that, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that, that as we go through these verses, it's not just one, two, three. Your word is filled with how you have chosen selected election. It's a very difficult doctrine to understand and to grasp, but we accept it by faith. So, Father, I pray that you lead us in all things, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we talk about predestination, as we talk about chosen, foreknowledge, the doctrine of election is probably one of the hardest ones that, uh, not, not necessarily hard to understand if you just take the word of God by faith. But it's hard to get across sometimes the people that have been inundated and taught and brought up that you made the choice. It was your choice. You raised your hand. See, because God couldn't do it. God couldn't come upon you. He he is such a gentleman, is what I've heard. And as a matter of fact, I used to preach that. He is such a gentleman that He will not violate your space. And so because God is not going to violate you and your will, because you have a free will. And this free will that you have, it gets to determine if you go to heaven or hell. And because you get to choose, then God is, His hands are tied. And And the problem with that is that most people that believe that, they also believe that God is sovereign, right? God is in control, amen? you guys believe that? I mean, there's nothing out of His power, out of His control. He is God, He is sovereign, everything that He does, and He knows everything from the beginning to the end, amen? And He even knows who's going to get saved, and He even knows who's not going to get saved, Right? We believe that he is sovereign. And yet, when it comes to this point of what the Bible teaches, there's this conflict. All of a sudden, my rationale, my reasoning, my logic has to match with my thinking. Now, the reason I'm coming back to this right now is because we were talking about how our beliefs dictate our behavior, how our beliefs should, should show in what we do. Everything you believe, everything you think, everything that you do, you do it because you believe that that's the right thing that you should be doing right there and then. Whether it's sin, whether it's something good, your beliefs, what you believe is going to dictate how you act. And so I know I said we're done with doctrine for now. You know, we're going to go into the practical, but I just, I just couldn't resist. I'm a doctrinal kind of guy. What can I say? And, and so here what Paul is saying, and I want you to know from the beginning, we need to understand this. And it's, it's, it's important for you to understand that, that everything that is not clear is not clear. It's not unclear to God. Okay. Everything that we can't understand. God can understand it. And just because I'm confused by it, or it seems to be a a contradiction or a paradox, even though it seems to be two truths that seem to, to go hand in hand, you got to understand that God is predestining those that He has chosen. Yet, at the same time, it is your responsibility to respond to what God has called into place. Now, even though you have a responsibility... God is the one that's going to call you and you, you have to respond even though he's already chosen you or not. You have to respond. And if you choose not to respond, then that's on you. That is your responsibility. And because God already knows who's going to be chosen. And now, these two truths kind of they go they go hand in hand. They don't cross somewhere in the middle, somewhere out, but they go hand in hand. They're both taught and they're both, you're responsible, yet God is in control. And it doesn't make sense to us now. Kind of like the Trinity. It's kind of hard to put those two together, but it does, it does, those aren't my limitations. That's not because, you know, it's not my fault. You know, it is my fault. It's not God's fault. Those are my limitations. Those aren't God's limitations. So we have to understand that even though the limitations, it's its not God, it's not His understanding, it's not His revelation, the limitations are ours. However, the Bible teaches both. The Bible teaches that you are responsible, but the Bible also teaches that you have been chosen. So I want to remind you of that from, from the very beginning as we go through this. Because that those are the things that we, were, we had talked about before. But in Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 4 and 5, even as He chose us. There's that word again. Over and over again, he, He'll show us how He chose us. Even as He chose us, verse 4 and 5. <clears throat> in love, he, pre- he predestined us for adoption to Himself. You know what? Maybe I should just read it. Blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, every, in, in with Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, not your will, not my will, his will. He didn't leave it up to me. He did this all on his own. To the praise of His glory and grace. Why? For His glory and grace. It's all about God. So that we can praise Him and glorify Him. Do you know that the most beautiful sound in all creation are the praises of those that have recognized that, you know what, I was so unworthy. I was the scum of the earth. I was worse than a scavian. You know, I, I was I, I was at the bottom of the barrel and yet... He chose me. I want to sing. I I, want to go to church. I I, want to learn more. I want to get, what can I do? How much more? You know, you can't do anything. It's done. But what should I do? Praise him. It's for the glory. It's for his glory. Let your life be for his glory. But there must be something else I can do. Learn. Obey. Obey everything that he says. Do it. Those things that we just talked about, don't do it. Get away from those things. Anger, malice. Maybe a lot of you, well, I'm praying that all of you, have gotten away from the sexual immorality and all those other things, but there are still some things in our lives that we have to just get rid of. Anger and wrath. Remember, we talked about those last week. Things that, uh, I'm not going to say who, but somebody came up to you this last week and gave me a testimony and says, you know, pastor, yeah, you wouldn't believe what happened. Or that That night. You know, I was pushed to the limit as to, and then I remembered, wow, did we just talk about this on Sunday on church? Yes. And you're going to get pushed to the limit on this as well. It's just the way the world works. It doesn't want you to know these things. But when you know them, you put them into practice. And guess what? You grow a little bit more. And you grow a little bit more because that is the whole purpose of predestination, as we will see. That you become formed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Not to become not to be conformed more to your image. You didn't get saved so that you can get blessed. You can get blessings so that you can feel better. So that you—it's not about you. It's about bringing glory to God. And you know this is this is exactly what what we're going to and we're going to go through right now. So as we go through this portion of Scripture. The Bible often says that we are chosen. We are elected. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter seven. See, see, there's three types of, of election. There's three ties, uh, three, three kinds of ways on how God chooses His people. There's what they call the theocratic election of Israel. God chose Israel. And when He chose Israel, He didn't choose them because they were His favorite or, or because He, you know, they were the most beautiful or whatever the case may be. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six, it says this. Uh, you might want to write this down. 7 verse 6 in Deuteronomy. Uh, it starts off and he tells, he tells the people, he says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God says, I chose you. As a matter of fact, a little bit later, he says, you know, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest. As a matter of fact, there was just one. Remember? Remember Abraham? I told you guys the story about Abraham. Abraham was just one, and Sarai, and, and they were, uh, as a matter of fact, his name was Abram. And, and uh, Abram was exalted father, and Sarai was her name, you know. And, and he changed his name from exalted father to Abraham, the father of many. He was almost 100 years old. How many kids do you have, Abraham? You know, father of many? He says, well, none. You don't have any, that's your name? That's got to be a cruel joke, you know to be called the father of many you have no kids, but Abraham was the father, and out of him came as many as the stars if you can count them, as many as the grains of sand and and you see and, and uh what what Paul had said is, is there's this election uh, excuse me uh There is this idea and understanding of this theocratical election where God chose Israel. And I think that most people understand that. Well, Israel, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. And we know that because we've been taught that. But when we say, you know, but but he chose you too. No, 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 no. no. He didn't choose me. I had to choose him. You see, because I'm more powerful than God. I have to make that decision is basically what you're saying. That you have more sovereignty and more control over all things than what God does. The second kind of election is vocational. You know, the Lord called the Levites to be priests, and not all the priests were good priests. Not everyone was guaranteed salvation. Uh, he called the twelve. Remember in Luke sixteen verse 30, Excuse me, in Luke six thirteen, he says, "And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles." Now these apostles, we know that one of them didn't make it. Right? One of them was forgiven, Peter, and the other one was not. Judas, he hung himself. And so and, and as a matter of fact, Paul himself, you know, he he was he was also chosen. As not only as a, an election as far as salvation is concerned, but he was also chosen for a specific task. When Ananias was praying about, uh, you know, getting to know who who God is a little bit better, Ananias was was a, a Grecian. He was a uh, he was a Gentile, and, and the Gentiles and the Jews didn't have anything to do with them. And Ananias says, "Well, I need to know more about what's going on here." And and uh, and so Paul was on his way to Damascus, and God intervenes in his prayer time. He says, "Okay, I want you to go over and talk to Saul. That was his name." And and Ananias. Is Saul? You want me to talk to him? The guy that's breathing murderous threats? Wanting to kill all these Christians? and all You want me to go talk to him? I can't go talk to him. And, Ananias, and God says, yes, Ananias, go talk to him. And because he says to him in Acts 9.15, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. Again, a vocation. But the, but the calling, the choosing, the election that Paul is talking about here is salvific, or salvational. It's for salvation that God chooses you. Yes, He chooses a group of people, and we're not in that group of people. We've been grafted in there. Yes, He calls you for a certain specific task, but the calling that we're talking about here, the choosing, the election, is the election under salvation. Look at this verse in six, John six forty four. You want to write this one down too. No one, Jesus says, can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on that last day. This drawing, this drawing is this irresistible force. You just cannot, you cannot deny it. It's irresistible. You can't resist it. It, it has been likened to the, the, a magnet, this huge magnet that they use in junkyards. And, and they go over this pile, this heap of garbage, and, and they, they turn the magnet on. And as they pick it up, only the metals that, that are able to be connected to that magnet are there. And everything else just seems to fall off. You see, when God calls and He chooses, He uses the Holy Spirit to grab you, He doesn't just draw you, He grabs you and He brings you in. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. That's not the way I understood it. I always thought that Jesus came and he knocked on my door. And I even seen the picture. The picture has Jesus out there with a lantern and this huge robe. And, you know, he's got this nice little goatee, nice and trimmed, probably with the supercuts, And he's got these blue eyes and, and he's just knocking on the door very gently. And as a matter of fact, on that picture, if you look closely, there's no handle on the door. Now, on the other side, that's supposed to be my heart. I'm supposed to unlock it to let him in. Which is true. I mean, that's the picture that is there. And Jesus is knocking on the door, but he's not knocking on your door. If you go back to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, he's talking to the people in Laodicea. Laodicea just fallen out of the fellowship. He's talking to a church. And he's knocking on the church's door. You're wrong. You're going about it the wrong way. You've got to get out of that sin. Let me in so I can fix you guys. Why did you guys block me out? How come you guys are not letting me in? It's not the heart of a sinner. And that's one of the verses that evangelists use all the time. Jesus is knocking on your door. Just listen to him. Let him in, please. Because he doesn't have the power to get into your heart. He doesn't have the power to override your will. See, Jesus himself said, I didn't choose, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And no one can come unto the Father unless he who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. He chose us in him according to ephesians and we'll be seen a little bit more and as a matter of fact when the father draws you and you're his and you've been brought in 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 john chapter 6 verse 37 jesus says this all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never cast out no one can jump out of the father's hand he says people say well you know you know i mean nobody can snatch me out of the father's hand you know, when you're in the father's hand, Jesus says, you know, he's you're there. And he says, nobody can come up and grab you. I've heard people say, well, can't you just some people can jump out, can't they? My response is always, how big do you think the father's hand is? Come on. You know, he's got me. He's got you. And because he's brought you his election, his sovereign election and, and, and man's responsibility in choosing Jesus Christ, they seem opposite and irreconcilable. And they're two truths, but they're limited from our human's perspective. How does that happen? If I have to choose, yet God is the one calling me, how does that happen? It happens. And that's that's the way it happens. And it happens that way because that's what the Bible teaches. He's going to hold you accountable. He's going to hold everybody accountable to their every last word. He's going to hold you accountable for saying no. He's going to hold you accountable for denying Him. And the more you deny Him, the more that He hardens your heart. And so this election is not a contradiction, it's, it's real, uh, it's not apparent, you know, it's, it's, it's these two principles that seem to, to come, come collide with one another. And his primary purpose, the reason for this in electing the church was for the praise and the glory of his son and for himself. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, believers are chosen for the Lord's glory before you were even born. You were chosen before even the world was, was formed. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is a part that a lot of people don't get. See, the reason, the reason God chose scathians like myself and some of you, and I'm not going to include all of you, <laughs> but I, I know. <laughs> the reason God chose us, because, you know, the world really thought they had us. Oh, yeah, these guys are far gone. And all of a sudden, boom! Salvation comes upon my life and upon your life. And the rulers and the authorities are looking over and saying, "Really? How did that happen? I thought he was lost, man. What it, I thought he was gone, man, he, Look at him! He's, he's over on that side. He's still smoking. <laughs> he was that close to hell, you know." And, and it's but it's to put them to shame, and so that the church can show God's wisdom. And that it be, it be known through all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, so everybody can see that God is still sovereign. Is He chose Israel? That's for sure. And as I said earlier, in Deuteronomy seven, seven through eight, it says, "It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people." but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the land or from the hand of Pharaoh the king. You see, he's promised this to you. If he's chosen you and he's elected you, you have nothing to worry about. And we've talked about how worry just is stress. Worry is, is the opposite of worship. You can't worship and worry at the same time. So if you're worrying about stuff, stop worrying and start worshiping. It's just a matter of changing your mindset. See, see, God's, God's angels, they're also elect, but they're chosen by Him to glorify His name and, 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 and His messengers. Christ Himself was also elect, and the apostles were elect by the same sovereign plan and the will that the church is elect. See, and God, He saved us. 2 Timothy 1.9 He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of your works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the ages began, not because you were good looking, not because you were smart, not because of what you've done. As a matter of fact, it's because of what he's done. And I know we use that term, you know, he's knocking on your door. We use Revelation 3.20 as if that's the gospel message, which it's not that's an invitation Jesus is wanting to get into the church to fellowship with the church with you and somehow some of you have closed him off and Jesus is saying look you got to let me back in because your life is a mess you know and the reason it's a mess is because it's a contradictory in terms it's incongruent you say you believe but you don't you know, it's kind of like saying, you know, I I really want to lose weight. I really want to lose weight, but you eat donuts and candies and all kinds of stuff. You know, I really want to get healthy. I really want to get healthy, but you just do everything. And it stresses you out. I'm going to be a good father, but you never come home. You're all, all over the place. I'm going to be a good husband, but you're having affairs. It's incongruency. It, it damages you internally, emotionally. And you have to put the two together. And Jesus is saying, you have all this commotion and emotion going on in your life because it's incongruent you are a believer act like one get out of that old, those old clothings that we'll talk about next week as a matter of fact in Acts chapter 13 as the apostles are preaching the gospel this is very interesting because when the Gentiles heard this gospel message they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed see there's an appointed number and those are the ones that are going to believe. 2 Timothy 2.10 Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ with eternal glory. These two verses should help you understand that even though there are people out there that are elect, that are chosen, that are predestined, you still need to talk to them because they're not there yet. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Paul was, he, he understood predestination. He understood the chosenness of God and how he chooses. He understood how all of this worked. Yet he tells Timothy, that, that's why I endure everything for the sake of the elect. I don't know who they are, but I got to go find them. I got to get out there. And the good thing about evangelism, see, and this is one of the arguments. One of the arguments about predestination and election, the whole election process, is that, well, if they're already elect, why even evangelize? They're going to come anyways. You know, They're going to get saved whether I do something or not. God wants two reasons why He wants us to evangelize. Number one, He wants to use you to get these people saved, and that, beloved, should—I mean—just say a lot that God, the Creator of this universe, wants to use you. He wants to use your gifts and and, and your gratitude. And everything. what do I do? Well, go, you know what you can do: go tell somebody about Jesus. What if they don't listen? Well, maybe they're not elect, or maybe it's not just the time right now. But don't stop there. Number two, another thing it should tell you is that you can't fail. You can't fail. Because either they are or they're not. You just keep moving, keep moving. People kept throwing rocks at Paul, kept killing him and throwing him out. And they, they killed him, I think, twice or three times he died. Once he went up to the third heaven. And, and he, is, he is just being tortured for the cause of Christ because he, he needs to find those that are elect. And he continues to go. That's his heart's desire. His heart's desire was to talk to as many people as possible. Second Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as His first fruits, to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Once again, over and over again. From beginning to end, God is the one choosing. God is the one believing, God is the one behave, excuse me. God is the one um, going out and, and bringing in the word and, and bringing out the word so that you can believe in some way, shape or form, everybody believes in divine sovereignty. We do. Uh, but some are not aware that you really believe that and, and mistakenly you imagine and with the insights that you can reject it. And if God is sovereign, he is sovereign and if he's in control, he's in control whether whether you know believe that or not. But most believers, most Christians believe that he is sovereign. But when it comes to this por- portion of me, you know, surrendering my will, we want to protect the free will of man by, by any means. Only because it just doesn't make sense to me. Only because I can't grasp it. It's not fair. You want fairness? Here's fairness. You're all supposed to go to hell. That's Fairness. You've all, we've all, I shouldn't say you, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You want fairness? That's fair. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe you an explanation. He doesn't owe you anything. Yet what he has done is out of all the people in the universe, he's, or excuse me, the world, he's called you. And that is mercy. That's mercy. That's not being unfair. That's just his mercy. That's grace. That's grace. Giving us something that we don't deserve. Definition of grace. And with others, he's going to administer his justice. His justice is going to be spilled out on the rest. His wrath is coming. When asked, what did God save me from? From going to hell, from bad marriage, from alcoholism, from drugs. People say all kinds of various things. God saved you from himself. His wrath. His wrath that is coming. That's what he saved you from. God saved you from him. And when you understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took away your sin, and he made it possible for you to enter heaven, the the natural response is just to say, have mercy on me, God, because I know I'm undeserving. I know I deserve eternal punishment. I know that I have failed. I I know that I I, I have violated your law. I've gone against the holy God. And God, you are, you are preeminent in the whole world. And I understand that now. I can't even stand before you. Have mercy upon me. And my natural reaction was to repent, as many of you were. You repented. You stopped doing the things you were doing, hanging out with the people you were hanging out with, and you got, grew closer to the Lord, come to know the Lord a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And this, this philosophy that people say, you know, well, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't match up. Well, you know what? In God's economy, it doesn't have to match up. You just have to believe that that's what it is. That's what happened. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He did this a long time ago. You know, and it's interesting. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. A lot of people think that, you know, well, Jesus Christ, well, God knew who was going to be saved, so those are the ones that he elected. Well, still, it, doesn't, it still doesn't give God the sovereign choice to choose you. But he chose us from the beginning, before the found before the world was created, before the world was even made. First Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, and raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in him. See, he foreknows. He understands. He not only knew Jesus Christ. It's not that a matter of him knowing. This foreknowledge, this foreknowledge is yes, God knows everything that's going to happen. But this foreknowledge, he knows you. When you think about the biblical term of knowing, the way Adam knew his wife and she begot Seth, how Abraham knew Sarah and she begot, uh, Isaac. And there's this intimate relationship that God has had with you from the beginning of the foundations of the world. This foreknowledge that He has of Jesus Christ, whom He foreknew. Yes, of course He knows Him. Of course He knows you. But does He know you? Does He know who you are from the beginning of the world? In Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, talking about the end times and you know i was gonna i was hoping i would get into this a little bit more but i'm running out of time on this and all who dwell on the earth will worship it talking about the beast that came out of the sea and and everybody is running to this beast because it's got all this power and these signs and great things are being done and everybody's worshiping everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life you see that your name has already been there again in chapter 17 he says and the dwellers on the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundations of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was it was and is and is not and is now to come this whole thought of understanding that god knows everything god has placed your name in a book you have been chosen you have been known and you are known by god to be holy and blameless before god and why In verses 4 and 5, it's because in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons that are Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. He predestined us. He predestined us to be his kids. He wanted you to be his children. If you know anything about adoption, adoption is a very difficult process. But once you get adopted, you can't get unadopted. You know, did you know that your, your parents, maybe even you if you want to, you can disown your kids. But legally, you can never disown an adopted child. That child is yours, like forever. And, uh, so you better choose wisely. And, and I know that a lot of, a lot of people, you know, that do choose their adopted, you know, kids, they do so, you know, in, in thought and in pensive and understanding and, and, you know, just really just get into understanding who this child is. And they want to bring in the, as a matter of fact, I think with, for most parents or adoptive parents, they want to adopt everyone. They see all these kids and their hearts and how, the pain in their eyes and and just this, this longing to take me home, <laughs> get me out of here. You know they want to. See the Bible says that God is not doesn't want to punish punish everyone. He he wants everyone to be saved. Just like a parent wants to save every adopted child adoption in the New Testament was very uh, it was very hard it was it was difficult to go through and so the, the result of an election of adoption in Christ we became his subject before he even before we even were born but but he has to adopt us he brings us in in the adoption process in the uh, in the New Testament from the Romans, they had this thing called a uh, patria protesta to another. In other words, it was a father's protest to be able to bring, not protest, but you know, this is a legal term that I want to make myself this kid's child. Well, what happened is that they would they would go through this process called mancipiatio. In other words, uh, it's kind of like the um, emancip- emancipation that a child goes through and if a father were to see or a man would see the son you know this guy can come be a part of my family i'd really like him to be a part of my family and the, the the family or the father or the parents say yes you know we have nothing for him if you want you can adopt him and so the process was, it was very, it was carried out by a symbolic sale in which copper scales were symbolically used. Three times the symbolism of sale was carried out. Twice the father symbolically sold his son. I would sell my son to whoever wanted it. And twice I, I would buy them back. And then the third time I would say, okay, this is yours. And we would do this because it would give me an opportunity to say, you know what? I I sold you my son. (laughs) Give my money back. I want my son. Okay. You know what? I I think this is the best thing for him, for us. But you know what? Let me have him back. And after that, you had the option to just call it quits. But the third time, it became the father or the adopted parent's son. And so there was this, um, there was this ceremony called vindication. And what would it, what would it would do? What it would do is that it presented a legal case of transference of the person to be adopted into this process now the adopted person lost all rights to his old family the old is gone and he gained the rights of the legitimate son and he became an heir of the new father's estate the new is come this sound familiar uh in the in 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 law the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out everything anything that he owed you were a new creation the old is gone the old has come you're a new creation and in the eyes of the law he was absolutely the son of the new father See, Jesus Christ paid a premium for you. And that's why, though you're not part of the chosen race of Israel, you are chosen under salvation because of what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And it was done so that, so that you wouldn't have to lose your salvation or lose the eternal inheritance that he has given to you. In John chapter 15, verse 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And in Romans eight fifteen, he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Apa. That's the way it was pronounced, Apaha. Some of those of you that grew up in a Spanish household, apa or papi or daddy. You have this relationship. He knows you. And that you have this intimate relationship. He is your dad. And to me, out of all the teachings that I had received as a young Christian, that was the most important to me. I have a father. I have a father that loves me beyond any measure turn with me to Romans chapter 8 and we'll conclude with this and this is in your outline he did this he did this yes and I received the inheritance yes I received sonship yes I received everything and I feel great but it wasn't about me it was for the glory of God all of it for the glory of God in Romans eight twenty nine through 30 uh, if you go there with me as a matter of fact one of the things you have to do is go back to Romans chapter 8, it's a few few books back, 29 through 30. This is after one of the most favorite verses that a lot of people know. And some of you have used this verse and it says, and we know in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We take this verse out of context and we say, look, everything, you know, that that's, I'm sorry to hear that that happened to you. But you know what, guess what? It's going to work out together for good. It says so in the Bible. You know what, man, I just lost everything. You know, I've been, went bankrupt. I lost my house, lost my car, you know, everything. But it's okay, it's okay because it's all going to work together for good. God's going to get you something better. You know, I've lost relationships. It's okay. God's going to make it work together for good. It's all going to be for good. You see, what we don't understand is that it is, God is calling it to make, to work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And if you go back a little bit further in Romans 8, you'll find out that His purpose is to glorify Himself. His purpose is to bring glory to Himself. His purpose is that the, that the world and everyone else will be glory. It's not about you. And we take that verse and we run with it without realizing the rest of it. And because you have been called according to His purpose, because... Uh, because, and, you know, that all the things for those who love God, all things were together for good for those who were called according to His purpose. Verse 29. And we call this the chain of salvation. The chain of salvation for those whom He foreknew. Remember that word, foreknowledge. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called, and those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now notice something here. In the Greek it's the same way. It's all in the past tense. It's all in the past tense. You, you are already glorified. Glorification will come to you when you are in heaven. We are, we are regenerated. Okay. We are regenerated. We're born again. We are sanctified. We're being sanctified. Sanctification is happening. There's uh, regeneration. Sanctification, glorification, salvation past, salvation present, salvation future. My past is gone. I've been born again, regenerated. Sanctification, you're going through the sanctification process. All that pain, all that ugliness, all that gunk that has been on you for the time of your life. God is having to wash it off, spray wash it off, wire brush it off. He, some of you, he's using, you know, he puts you in this, in this kiln where, where he's purifying you. And, 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 you know, I'm sure you've heard this analogy of a silversmith on how he purifies silver to get all the ugliness, all the stuff of the world that has been caked on this pure silver. He puts it in a, in a ladle and he sticks it in the fire and he swirls it around. He's got to keep a close eye on it because if it doesn't get hot enough, it won't burn off all the dross and you'll have a hard time cleaning it again. But if you burn it, you can ruin it for forever. You'll have to start all over again. And silver is a precious metal and the silversmith would look at this glob of silver just glowing and glowing and all of a sudden, as soon as the man can see his reflection on that glob of silver, he pulls it out. And some of you, God has got you in the fire and God looks at you and says, no, he's not done yet, you know. And then he, we do stuff and we do some stupid things and fall over. No, you're still not done yet. Come on, Lord, win. Whenever you're done, it's up to, you know, get it done. <laughs> and that's another one of those antinomies that, you know, they, they, they kind of contradict each other. I thought God was working in my life, making me pure. Yes, but you have to do it. You have to work at it. You have to grow. You have to develop. You have to disciple. You have to be disciplined. God is going to work it through you, but you have to do your part. But I thought God saved me already. I'm going to heaven. Yes, but there's work that you have to do. Those he foreknew. And, and so, so he knows you. He loves you. And he, and he just, number one, those whom God loves, he foreknew. Okay. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. And this, this is not this knowledge, this understanding of who they are. All these people in Matthew chapter seven, they're going to come up to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, you know, here we are. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. He says, what? Didn't we cast out demons in your names didn't we you know do signs and work? didn't we go to church didn't we do all those things that you required of us yes you did but you know what I never I don't know why you were doing it because I personally never had this intimate relationship with you you didn't have an intimate relationship with me you didn't know me in that sense of course Jesus knows who are his Jesus says in in, in John 10 14 I am the good shepherd I know my own and my own know me and and it's not that he doesn't know you intellectually he doesn't know them relationally and he says to them depart from me for I never knew you in Galatians chapter 4 verse 9 but now that you have come to know God rather to be known by God oh yeah a lot of people know about God you'll hear this all time oh yeah I know God I know all about God. I've studied about God. I've read the, I read the Bible. I go to church. I know God. Do you? But do you know God? Or are you going to be part of that group that he says, I never knew you? But now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slave you want to be once more? You want to be a slave of the world? Why did we go back there? If you you really have this intimate relationship with the person, your spouse, with somebody that you love, why would you want to hurt them? You really don't know them. You really don't love them in a sense. Why would you want to do that? Why would you do that to God? Why would you go back to those things that He saved you from? You you see, when we understand this doctrine of election, what Paul is talking about to the people in Colossae, to get away from all this, take off the old, put on the new. It starts. To, you start to realize, you know what? I, I don't have to be the old me. You know, people say, you know what? You should have seen the old me. You know, you wouldn't have liked the old me. You know what? I don't even like the new you. <laughs> I mean, really, is that, is that is that as good as God can do in your life? Really? What happened? How come you're still wearing the same old clothes? I can't believe you're still wearing the same old clothes. Number two, those who he loves, he predestines. Verse 29 again. He also predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many. Your reason for predestination is not so that you can just be saved. Your meaning, your reason for predestination is to become like Jesus Christ. That's what it's like. And that's what it's all about. Even Ephesians 1, 4-5, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. We just talked about this. You are predestined to become His son. Well, what are His sons like? Which son would you look at? He's only got one true son, which is who? Jesus Christ. Read about Jesus, talk about Jesus, listen to Jesus. That's who he wants you to be like. Number three, and by the way, this predestination, prohorizo is the Greek word. It's it's the horizon that it's out, that you can see out as far as you can. Pro meaning beforehand, the horizon. Everything that is stretched out, everything that God has marked it. He says, this is mine, and these are mine right here. And when the new heaven and the new earth come down, there's going to be this temple that comes down, and it's been marked. It's huge. It's almost, people have calculated the dimensions of it. I don't have the dimensions here, but it's huge. It's almost the size of the United States, as it is tall. And, and it's a huge temple, and that's where God's people are going to be. He says, this is mine. You have been pro You have been foreordained, not only foreordained, foreknown, and you've been, you've been, uh, also predestined to become just like Him. And he's marked you out. And once he marks you out, those he marked out, he called. He called. Those who need predestined, he also called. And this is that calling I was talking about earlier. A lot of people think this is a vocational call. You know, somebody tried to tell me one time, you know, Pastor Sal, you're reading this wrong, you know, because that calling is your position, your position, you know, your pastorship. You are a pastor because God called you. And Well, the very next word is, then he justified me. Uh, number four, those he saved, he justified. But calling is a salvation call, and, and and so if it's my professional call as a pastor, that means he called me as a pastor before he even justified me, before I was even cleaned. You know, so I'm going to be a pastor, and uh, this is my calling. But he's not going to justify me until later. I think you have it backwards. There has to be a saving, there has to be, because he's called you, he calls you, you have to listen. In Ephesians chapter 2, we didn't get enough time to go through that, but in Ephesians chapter 2, after what we just read, that you were predestined from the foundations of the world, verse 1 says that you are dead, you were dead, 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 dead in your sin. And you cannot choose anything as a dead person. You cannot choose to live. You cannot choose to move. You cannot choose your clothes that you're going to wear at your funeral. You cannot choose the place. You know, I mean, I guess you can do it ahead of time, but you can't change that. Once it's done, it's done. God has to call you. His voice has got to hit your heart, your spirit. Just like Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? Lazarus was dead. He was wrapped up in, in, in clothing or excuse me, cloth. He was mummified. He'd been in the tomb for three days, and Jesus came out and he called him Lazarus, come out. Some people say that he had to identify him as Lazarus because because he would have just says come out, they would have all come out, you know. Says no, no, this is just Lazarus. I'm calling only Lazarus. And you know what? Jesus could have, he could have called them all out, but why didn't? Because Lazarus was chosen. And that voice that you hear pounding in your heart, convicting your heart is the Holy Spirit telling you, repent, come out of those clothes, come out of that grave, come out of those, those the, all that dead stuff, take it off, put on the new stuff. You still got work to do. You got to take it off and you got to put it on. And that's what he, that's who he calls. Again, John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, pulls him, magne- magnetically just attaches this magnet upon your spirit and he yanks you out of all this debris that is garbage and plastic and this fake stuff in the world. And he says, I will raise him up again on the last day. In Romans 1, 7, to though, all those in Rome who are called, who are loved by God and called to be saints. A saint is not a holy person. A saint is not a perfect person. A saint is not one that's been sanctified by the church. You, if you are a believer, you are a saint. You have been called out of this world. You have been yanked out. You have been irresistibly pulled out of this. You, know, there's, you can't resist it. This irresistible grace that God gives you, you have to submit to it. And so you are called out. And in Romans 9, 11, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls before you were even born. As a matter of fact, chapter 9 of Romans, I encourage you to read it. It's the story of how, you know, how the potter is building something out of the clay. And it's this, this conversation that the pottery is having with the potter. And the potter the pottery is saying, why did you make me like this? Because the potter has the right to make out of the same lump of clay tools or utensils for noble purposes as well as enoble purposes. In other words, they would make out of these potteries uh, basically bedpans. That you would because they had they had no toilets back then. And out of the same clay, he would make a bedpan so it can be used at night and then toss it away in, in the morning, get another one, and you can just do that. And other ones, you would use them as vessels, as pitchers, or glasses, or bowls. And the argument that Paul is using here, he says, you know, what right does a lump of clay have to tell the potter, why did you make me this way? Why? You know, God can do whatever he wants. As a matter of fact, he tells Pharaoh, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I want to give compassion to. Who are you to talk to me that way? I'm just a lump of clay. I'm just dirt. I'm just mud. I thank God that he made me a vessel for his glory. Romans chapter 9, number 4, those he saved, he justified justification just if I'd never sinned you are justified you are made right look at this you know follow follow this this procedure and then those he those he made right he glorified okay so those he foreknew he predestined those he predestined he called those he called he justified and those he justified he glorified that's the chain of salvation and you can't mix that up glorification comes at the end Glorification is when you are present before the Lord. When everything is just melted off. And all the dross from this world has been cleared away. And just been smelted away. And this magnetic pool that has shaken you all over the place. And all this garbage has fallen off. That's when you are pure before God. That's what glorification is. See, but that's already happened. That's already happened in your life. You've already been glorified. You just can't see it yet because we haven't crossed that great divide. The problem with free will of man, okay, is that I can choose God anytime I want. Gives me the ability that I'm stronger. I have more knowledge than God. I'll do it when I'm ready. I'll do it as the moment I'm ready and able to. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people are good people. You know, I don't have to give my life to God. I'm okay. Okay. And this idea of being able to have more sovereignty and more control than God is always shown at funerals. Because everyone who dies goes to heaven. They do. I've never heard one, one person say, you know what? He's not going to heaven. And we have to understand that those that God has as, th- those that God knows, has this intimate knowledge of. And those he predestined, he's already picked them out to be conformed into the image of his son. Those are the ones that he saved. He called them. He called them because salvation, and he gave the loud voice. And faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of God. And he called you, and the voice of his, uh, of his, the sound of his voice penetrates your heart, and you have no other response but to say, "Have mercy on me, Lord," and he justifies you. And you're just as if you'd never sinned. And at the end, when it all said and done, you're glorified. Now I mentioned to you that this is going to be a pretty difficult message. But really, I mean, if you if you just follow the the verses and why people don't use these verses in that manner to say, look, you know, you're you're already it's a done deal. So why don't you just repent? Just do it now. Just repent. Why don't you just do it now? Why, don't, why not just just take off the old and put on the new? Make it real by, by baptism. The, there was a, a time when in the, in the church of old that people would come in and they would take off their old clothes and they would put on these white robes and be baptized in symbolizing that they are now born again. Symbolizing their new clothing. They weren't allowed to take the robes home. I mean, I wasn't allowed to take mine home. You know, but uh, but but it was a beautiful pictures, you know on top but but what more do we need is that you're you're dunked and you're brought up. I'm dead in Christ, I'm alive in Christ. You know, I I've been buried with Christ, I've been risen with Christ. The old is gone, the new is come. And you live your life accordingly. And, and and so when you have that understanding that you are God's chosen ones to live holy and blameless, Paul says, put on your new son- Put on the new self. Take off the old self. Because that's who you are. It's really that simple. Because God's already predestined it. God's already preordained it. You still have responsibility. The human responsibility, the human responsibility part is your responsibility to respond to what he's calling you to do. And, you know, if you're predestined and if you're chosen, if you're one of his elect, he's going to make sure that he gets you to where he wants you to be. Some of you have gone through some very trying times in your life. Either some, you know, I don't know, just physical, medical, relational, financial things that you're going through in your life. You wonder why? Does God hate me? No. He loves you. He's trying to get your attention. He wants to get you out of that furnace. He doesn't see his image yet. Just repent. Do it. Do it now. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for your word that is true. Though it's a doctrine that some struggle with, I I pray that we can just come to terms with it and realize that it is taught throughout Scripture as well as the responsibility that man has. And you're going to hold each one of us accountable. But I thank you, Father, that you've seen to it that we here have come to a point in our life where We can recognize that we belong to you. And Lord, help us to live that by taking off the old and putting on the new. So Lord, as we continue on in the book of Colossians, help us to understand that. That our our beliefs, what we believe, our doctrine, should dictate, should determine how we behave. And now that we know that we're chosen, we're your, your children, we need to start acting like your kids. And stop acting like the devil's kids because that's what a lot of people in churches do. So Father, I thank you once again that you help us to understand this even, even more so. Dismiss us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen, amen and amen. May the Lord be with you.